This is the Constructionist Podcast, where we take ancient stories, the person of Jesus, current events and topics, and help you construct a new Christian worldview that's relevant and loving to those around you. I'm your host, Kevin Bates. I'm a semiotician and community builder looking at the signs of the times to build a better future together. Welcome to the Constructionist Podcast, and in tonight's episode, we will be discussing the life of Christ. And as hosts of this podcast, we strive to provide you with relevant and compassionate perspectives in order to develop a worldview framework that will help guide you through life. So we believe that in order to achieve this, it's important to get our house in order. So this is a theological getting our house in order, maybe looking at the book of Mark through a different lens, a semiotic lens, maybe a progressive lens, whatever you want to term it. We're just playing around and thinking through and noodling through these scripture verses to come up with a very relevant look at the book of Mark. So this means learning to love and care for yourself enough that you can possibly deconstruct some things that you've learned in the past to construct other things to live a healthier life and have a healthier perspective. We encourage a worldview that is built on the principles of Christ. And in this episode, we're going to examine the life of Christ through a clear and honest lens. So by doing so, we hope to offer insights and perspectives that will help you in your journey towards a greater understanding, love and compassion of yourself and others. So we wanna assure you that in tonight's episode, we won't be fabricating anything. And as, and as many have done in and around the gospels, um, and any information or ideas that we come up with that are maybe guesses, we're going to be honest about that. This is a guess. Or we're not sure about that. I don't know. That's an honest response. Our goal is to provide an authentic perspective on our examination of the book of Mark. So in previous episodes, we've discussed the potential pitfalls of simply deconstructing old ideas without moving into a new understanding with new ideas. So it's important to avoid getting stuck in a cycle of perpetuating same patterns of thought and behavior that we sought to change in the first place. And as we develop new thoughts and behaviors, it's important to do that simultaneously as we just deconstruct old ideas. So we need a fresh perspective. I do agree that we all possibly need a fresh perspective of the Bible, the Gospels, and the church. And so my hope is that through this process, we'll be able to do so. That's why the Constructionist Podcast is a space for exploring new ideas, presenting practical thoughts, theologies for daily life kind of just feet on the ground type of thinking. We aim to provide a platform for honest and authentic discussions. And it's really important that you would find purposeful and meaningful discussion here and interaction. So if you want to interact with us, you can as we explore practical ways to apply these ideas to our daily life. So we're going to look at the life of Christ through the book of Mark. And if you enjoy the Constructionist podcast and want to support us financially, please follow the link in the show notes on the social media platform you're listening to. Visit our Give page and you can support us so that we can continue providing high quality content like this. 
Um, even more importantly, though, again, we want you to engage, whether it be tonight or through the week. And we believe that through interaction and discussion from listeners like you, we can continue to learn and grow together and to develop a communal hermeneutic about our understanding of, especially like today or tonight, the book of Mark or any other subject or philosophy or practical topic we talk about or book of the Bible or theology that we're going to discuss. So we value your free framework feedback, excuse me, we value your feedback, questions, and ideas. We also value your framework and want to explore that with you. We're excited to build a community around a shared exploration of ideas and perspectives. So please don't hesitate to reach out to us and ask questions. So thank you, Sherea Bodner and Jake Flug for joining us with our continuation of the Book of Mark. So let's read and let's just jump right into it. As we took last week off, we are continuing this week. We're going to talk about this progressive healing in Mark chapter 8. So, Jake, you want to start us out and start reading for us and get uh, let's get started. Oh. <clears throat> Jesus and his disciples came to Bethsaida. Some people and if I could just people. pause you for a second, Jake, your sound, if My you can re reset your sound. Mm. <laughs> I wonder why tonight. Well, Shreya, do you want to start out while Jake sh starts his sound over yeah. and read Mark? Okay, I can read. Well, are you guys discussing? Hey. Jesus and his <laughs> disciples came to Bethsaida. There we go. Some people brought a blind man to Jesus and begged him to touch him and heal him. Taking the blind man's hand, Jesus led him out to the village. Out of the village. After spitting on his eyes and laying his hands on the man, he asked, Do you see anything? The man looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees, only they are walking around. Then Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes again. He looked with his eyes wide open. His sight was restored. He could see everything clearly. Then Jesus sent him home, saying, Don't go into the village. All right, well, let's start with that, <clears throat> Mark uh, chapter 8. So we have this gradual healing, and theologically, this has been an issue for a long time. People have understood it. People have not understood it. And so, so let's get into it, and let's just talk about um, healing in general. Let's talk about the purpose of healing, the biblical idea of healing. Uh, we have this healing of a sight-impaired person that... You know, it's interesting mm -hmm. enough that it's recorded in the book of Mark and it's progressive. So first, let's start with healing. What's your both of your perceptions or perspectives on healing? Go ahead, Shreya. Yeah, I've talked about this a little bit before, but um, just about any time we see Jesus forgive sins in the Gospels, he is also healing. Um, which to me suggests that it's less about, um, like sin is this idea of, um, like being in right relationship with God or breaking God's laws or something like that. And it's more about, um, healing as restoring people to community. And so like in the case of blindness, this was something that, um, prevented, this blind man from being a fully involved member of the community. And so by healing him, 
Jesus is restoring him back to the community where he's able to be a full participant again. Right. So a lot of times the, the, the tearing down of barriers or the removal of barriers to engage again. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So any thoughts on healing, Jake, like just ideas of healing that you have? Um, coupled with Sharia and what she was talking about is the idea of healing to enter back into, into community. But there's a difference between being healed and being cured. And so a lot of the miracles that we see in, in Jesus's ministry was, is an act of, of curing. And healing is more an emotional, spiritual position, posture in life. And then we can all be healed, but we may not be cured. And so as we look at, at these very odd ideas of Jesus' healing, um, spitting in his eyes, that's weird to us, but we can talk about context here soon. The idea is that Jesus cures people and heals people. That we were Christians today, we may not have like the miraculous gift of healing, our curing, I should say, but we all can heal. So Dr. Dan Bruner told us a story once about his wife. Dr. Dan Bruner um, is a retired professor now as of, I think, yesterday or maybe the day before, yeah. last week maybe, that uh, he talked about his uh, former wife, the wife that passed away, that died from cancer, and he publicly tells this story. It's a beautiful story about how his wife was never cured from cancer, but she told him that uh, when he was sorry that she wasn't healed, she said, I have been healed. I just wasn't cured. And so the Lord has healed me. And I think that's a healthy perspective, yet still a bummer. And I look at um, questions about why does good things happen to bad people? Mm -hmm. I ask that question. Why, does, why doesn't good things happen to all people? all the time why isn't everybody healed and so we get into this discussion and it's a difficult discussion i would say that in my open theism which is a theological um, perspective that if 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 i don't have this perspective the other options are really gross to me and so i i this is the only perspective that i can have is that God is self-limiting and God allows us free will and self-limits. He's not engaged in the world like we so have written that God is engaged in the world. And maybe even that we want God to be engaged in the world. And so God self-limits, maybe asks us, go live life and figure this out. And life is ugly and life is nasty sometimes. And we want God all the time right there, healing our diseases, curing our diseases, taking away our poverties. Um, but maybe God is asking us to step into that role of curing diseases and healing people's poverties. Um, so God self-limits. The other option that I have, which is really ugly and nasty, is God only helps certain people and doesn't help other people. 
or God picks and chooses or God sometimes intervenes and sometimes doesn't. Those are really nasty theologies that I or or the the ultimate um, in a more uh, control based sovereignty of God, that idea that God causes all these things to happen. That is really ugly and nasty to me, too. So when I look at the whole Bible and when I take from Genesis to Revelation in perspective, I have to I have to come to the conclusion as I see God's self-limiting that God is self-limiting. Um, there's no other reasonable answer. And as my friend Pastor Bruce would say, I have to take reason into account to my theology. I can take the Bible theology, but I have to take reason along with it. I can't check reason at the door uh, when, I, and so if something is in is not reasonable, I go that lack of reason does not apply to God, and so God with reason is applicable, and so so this self-limiting um, idea is a reasonable perspective. <clears throat> But you do have these groups and movements that practice healing. It, they practice a miraculous healing that they solely base the curing on your faith. And so the ideas of by your faith you've been healed idea that if you're not healed, you don't have enough faith. Well, that's interesting with this scripture, because in this scripture, does Jesus ever say, by your faith, you've been healed? Not that I remember reading. Nope. Yeah, maybe we can look at that again, Jake, while you fix your sound, that that he has this progressive healing. But I don't think anywhere, just pop that slide up again, that second slide, I think it is, Rob, that's... Um, no, before that. No, before that. Maybe it's the first slide then. Sorry. Placed his, placed his hands on the man's eyes. He looked with his eyes wide open. His, height, his sight was restored. And he could see everything clearly. Then Jesus sent him home saying, don't go into the village. So we see right there that there is a healing in Scripture, a curing <clears throat> that does not attach the idea of faith to the healing. Well, that's certainly com comforting because when I have to have enough faith in order to heal my life, that my healing is based on me at that point. While this slide no... is up, I'd like to say something about it when much right when you're done. Yeah, there's no, there's no fireworks here. There's no get up and walk, pick up your mat. There's no... There's nothing like that um, here. There's no dramatic, uh, spiritually dramatic exit to this healing. It's actually kind of vanilla, if you if you ask me. Um, and I think it's vanilla for a reason, because most people are healed in this way. That over a long period of time, that sometimes we don't even notice, but then all of a sudden we wake up and the whole world has changed. Go ahead, Jake. What, what were you going to say about the scripture? You throw that back up again, Rob. The same slide. So you look at this this first paragraph, and 
So Jesus came, they came to Bethsaida, which means the house of fish. They brought a blind man to him. Jesus touched him and healed him, begged him to touch him and heal him. So he led him out by himself and spit in his eyes. So this was always kind of a weird story to us. Like, why would you just do that? Um, but during the, during the time of writing, spit was thought a thought and their saliva was thought had to have healing properties i think because probably they watched dogs lick their wounds and their wounds would heal right and so they so spit was seen as that and so how i am beginning to take this section is the first the first idea is, is how far your own efforts can take you that when we use our our essential oils and we use our medication whatever like it'll only get you so far but jesus offers this type of that's a curing mm. and then we go into the healing of full visibility full sight copacetic yeah i think that um just something else to offer in light of what you just said I hope I say this right. Ultimately, the healing that we all desire is a new life, like a new creation or a new perspective or a new understanding, a new reality. Now, that's mostly in the mind. It's mostly in our ph philosophy or perspective of life and our perspective of eternity. And... In terms of our bodies and our faith or our spirit, right? I think the faith healers that are out there expect our cells to catch up with our soul. So we have this soul of faith that's way out there. But I've never experienced that in my life. I'm more of a liminal person. So my, my soul catches up to my cells. So I am actually doing things or participating in things or helping engage in relationships or, oh, let's say I go down and feed um, unhoused people on a Sunday afternoon and I'm in a line feeding unhoused people and I'm in these conversations. My body is fully present feeding hundreds of, of unhoused people. And then my soul catches up to that. They call that a liminal experience. So I've always been a person of liminality. My soul will catch up to my actions. Now my actions catching up to my soul. Does that make sense? Did I make sense there? Yeah, totally. And, and, and I just had a text come through that what we're talking about is healing versus curing. And that, yes, that's the direction we're taking this for now, yeah. And that you're, and oftentimes in the gospel, it does say that your faith has made you well, or your faith has, has healed you. Yes. We're, what we're opposing is that the idea is, is a, an eschatological, to say it, a big word. That's right. more of the healing that we're looking for, this, this end, of, mm. end of being healing. Um, like the woman, the bleeding woman, the, the, the daughter 
the the man who is dropped um, in the middle of the the crowd that is lame. All those people it said had direct healing from that's in direct relationship to their to their faith. And so you want to just take it for a little bit while I fix my sound here. <laughs> yeah, you're having trouble with your sound tonight with your numbers. Um uh, yeah, we are talking about healing ultimately a spiritual life minds um perspective healing. Let's talk about the curing though. When it's it's very easy to when you're sick or when you're having mental difficulty or you have a mental disease, you know, you're mentally ill, um, or you're struggling emotionally with something. You want God to take that away. And that's very, very normal to mm -hmm. want God to take that away. What is our perspective on that? I mean, let's unpack that because that's real. That's not, um, there's some things I don't know why God doesn't take things away. I have to say that. But what's some healthy things to and, say around that kind of topic? And it's really crappy to hear that it's just, it's making you better, stronger. Oh, mm -hmm. yeah, terrible. Like yes. all things work, all things work to the glory of God. No, no, they don't. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Good, good, Shreya. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I think empathy being told, yeah, that does suck. Right. Is is really kind of the best response. Um, sometimes it's hard to find God in the middle of deep suffering. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that's just the nature of it. So trying to fix it so that person can find God again or whatever like it's not helpful um, no. I think it cheapens the experience um, and causes harm yeah mm -hmm. now could we say uh, could we say that does God heal can we answer that question? Does God even heal? Cure. Excuse me. Does God even cure? What we're having a hard time with, I think, is that the writers of the New Testament did not have an understanding of the human body like we do today. Yes. And so anytime, anytime that a someone was cured of an ailment mm -hmm. it was in direct connection to their relationship or to their practice of their faith right and so i think you have to hold that into into tension when you're talking about healing pack passages curing passages that this was a this was a pre-industrialized um writers this is before modern medicine this was before the people were still using spit to cure blindness right that was a common practice the they were still using urine to clean 
for ammonia. I mean, we have you have a world where it's it's so much different, and to say that that the reason bad things are happening to you is because you don't have faith, or the reason that good things are happening to you is because you have faith, is in a very abusive position to put people under and in. Yeah. I think being involved with biology as much as I was back in the day and what I learned about the human body, I can conclude that based on my image of God, my body, the temple of the Holy Spirit, my body, right? Mm -hmm. That God wants me to be cured because I have, when I cut my finger, my body heals itself. And that was created by God. When I get sick, my immune system kicks in and heals my sickness. That's created by God. When I, for many diseases that I possibly could get, um, and my gut health and all that, if I eat proper foods and do drink water and take my vitamins <laughs> my body stays healthy enough that it can heal a lot of things itself so based on my human body i could say that god wants us to be healed i think that the discussion and the um the disagreements and the friction comes with how does he heal how does God heal? Does he heal in just the natural um, environment sense? And if I do get a, a cancer or if I do get an incurable disease, that's just the result of human life and DNA and possibly genetic stuff or mm -hmm. I was exposed to chemicals or whatever. Um, it's how it's it's how does God heal? That is probably the more because I know just in my human body that God wants me to heal. He want God wants me to be healthy. God wants me to be you know like a whole body. Yeah, whole person, whole body. Yeah, Shreya, what did what did you come from? This movement of more. Pentecostalism, <laughs> more faith healing, they call it. Give us a perspective on that. I mean, that is just, it's dramatic if you've ever been to one of those faith healing services, which I have and you have too. I, I um, have not actually. Oh, you haven't. Oh, wow. No. Okay. Well, tell me the theology there. Like, what, how did they come uh -huh. up with that kind of theology? Um,. I am not positive, but I think more of that has to do with, um, is it first Corinthians 14 Yeah, and the gifts of the spirit? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Um, I think that's outside of the scope of the gospel of Mark. Okay. I think our answer was just to confine us to Mark. We can only be confined. I mean, you could you could tie it into your faith healed you definitely. Sure. Yeah. The, yeah. but yeah, you're right. Is that we start talking about the gifts 
I, I think I've been to a faith healing um, service. And when I went, there was a lot of other things attached, which made it very uh, fake and just not not really real um, to me where the person that was just calling people out of the crowd and stuff had the microphone. People were telling him about different things in the audience. That was very, you know, like it was just, you could see it. Um, there were credit card machines at the end of each aisle that you could run your credit card um, at the end of the aisle. Money baskets, I think, were passed probably <laughs> four or five times. During, so those those trappings around it made it very, um, I don't know, very churchy, very superficial. Um, and somebody just responded, it's it's uh, manipulative. And so 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 it it is many times manipulative. I, I would say, though, that I have experienced some people that have been healed without an answer. And those times when I experience that, I go, that's totally unanswerable except for some kind of divine intervention or a movement there that I just mm -hmm. can't explain. See, the only issue with that is that what happens to your faith when you find out it wasn't divine intervention mm. and that we so often put God in gaps of the unanswerable and as right. science and, and psychology, all sciences, I guess, including psychology and astronomy right. and everything else is we understand more and more of the world around us mm -hmm. and we start to put taking God out of those gaps what happens to our faith at that point is it is it solidified or is it is it shaken and so we talk about curing and healing our curing vis-a-vis -vis healing that healing becomes the idea of of what happens to you in the next life and curing becomes what happens to you now that's why I think we're in that in that mode of of conversation because oftentimes now we can take God out of the gap of of medical healing. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, I would say that I can only answer that from my personal experience, really. Mm -hmm. And the things that I thought were very spiritual, hyper spiritual in my life, very spiritually bound. This could only be from God, right? Well, I've said that about a lot of things. And when I find out today, looking back on it at now, you know, older and maybe hopefully just a touch wiser, looking back on those things, when I go, probably not God, probably just life coincidence. And I would say a lot of luck, you know, like just life just turned out in my favor or maybe privilege that was just mm -hmm. an act of like life's privilege in yeah. in my life and so when i when i look back on those things it actually doesn't negate my faith um my faith is based on 
a lot more things than just uh, a handful of experiences in my life that I could attribute God did that or God <laughs> was involved in that. But if your if your Christianity is based upon miraculous gifts, mm-hmm. right? Based upon upon physical healing, it's like the famous church pastor out there casting out casting out um, diseases, slain in the spirit. When you find out that that person's a fraud, does that shake your faith? I think is is the question. Right. Right. Okay. Anyways, well, let's yep. go to that. Ne- let's a long, go to that long time next... on four verses. Here we are. I know. Let's go to that next scripture. And Sharia, why don't you read yep. that next passage for us? Jesus and his disciples went into the villages near Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? They told him, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, and what about you? Who do you say that I am? Peter answered, you are the Christ. Jesus ordered them not to tell anyone about him. Then Jesus began to teach his disciples. The human one must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and the legal experts, and be killed, and then, after three days, rise from the dead. He said this plainly. But Peter took hold of Jesus and, scolding him, began to correct him. Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, then sternly corrected Peter. Get behind me, Satan. You are not thinking God's thoughts, but human thoughts. Is there more right. to that section? I think there's another slide for that one. One more, I think. Yeah. Yeah. After calling the crowd together with his disciples, Jesus said to them, All who want to come after me must say no to themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. All who want to save their lives will lose them, but all who lose their lives because of me and because of the good news will save them. Why would people gain the whole world but lose their lives? What will people give in exchange for their lives? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, in this unfaithful and sinful generation, the human one will be ashamed of that person when he comes in the Father's glory with the holy angels. Jesus continued, I assure you that some standing here won't die before they see God's kingdom arrive in power. So it's not by accident that that's placed there, of course. Um right after the healing because if we go back to the premise that mark is a new framework of exodus so the israelite or the the hebrew people in slavery in egyptian bondage were considered like they had a blindness and and if you if you deliver somebody from this blindness of course that happened over a period of time and then things were revealed to them in stages so i think that the progressive healing sets up this next passage um where where we have a progressive movement now jake take this next passage and give us a give us in light of that framework take this next passage and explicate it the passage we're on right now right Yes, yes. And fix your sound, if you would. 
I think Robert's staying back. We can take... This is the first time that Jesus predicts his death. And what's important about this is never, I, I believe in scripture, does it talk about the Messiah dying. And it was supposed to reign eternal. And so as, as this as his followers were listening to him, there would be a lot of confusion. And that's when, mm -hmm. when you go back one more slide, and you see this word Satan, right? Where is this at? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> is it there? Yep, very last line. So the, the whole idea of Satan is just adversary or one who stands against. Um, there's no real being. I, know, I, I would not capitalize that word whatsoever. Um, I think that is just, I think, I think we can look at that more as an adjective than a noun. Um, Which word again? Never is Jesus Satan. Oh, okay. Right. Never in this passage is Jesus even claiming that he's God. Just the Christ. The Messiah wasn't supposed to be God. Um, or the human one is oftentimes connected with the Messiah or connected with with these, uh, Ezekiel. Mm -hmm. So the idea is that, is that Jesus is just one-upping or changing the way that that the disciples can look at at the Christ, at the Messiah. And Kevin, I think you pretty soon should talk about uh, Christus and, and Pistos for this one as well. That there's more wordplay here than what we're getting into. That that even though, even though Peter is claiming Christ, that, that Jesus is a Messiah, he is still staying against him. Like he's staying in his way of his own progress. He's staying in his own way of his own really self. And then when you go into the next slide. Let me pause you just for a second there. Because you said something right at the beginning that I, I just want you to clarify. Uh, you said that nowhere in scripture um, i'm assuming the old testament too that you're saying that the that the messiah was never like to die so what do we do with isaiah 53 I, isaiah I'm, I'm i'm confused so yeah isaiah 53 does he actually die in isaiah 53 well i just looked it up and the messiah will be rejected the messiah will be killed the Messiah will be silenced. The Messiah will be buried. The Messiah will die a criminal's death. That's a good one. So, so I'm, when I look, but but that's Isaiah. So you, so help me, help me figure out what you just said there. Like, why did you just say that? What was your premise for that? And you know, you could the, say, well, the idea that the idea that. that that the Messiah would die and rise again. And then in other passages, especially later, it talks about the Messiah reigning forever and ever and being the okay. Davidic, the Davidic kingdom coming back. Right. There were other messiahs before Jesus. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah. There were other Christs before Jesus. And so the idea is that those people did die. 
Yeah, right. but also the thing that made them messiahs is that they had this big victory, right? Um, and so yeah. there's anticipation among the disciples that Jesus is going to lead them in a victory against Rome. And Jesus is saying his primary move is going to be to die at the hands of the empire instead. Right. Well, if you pop that uh, that slide up again, Rob, I'll just explain the pistis versus Christos. Pistos versus Christos. So there was two different types of oil that early the slide people, before that one, Rob. Early people of antiquity would use. So there was pistos oil. And mostly it was olive oil that people would use back in that day. And they would use a very refined oil that uh, they would burn in lamps sometimes, like at temple practices. They would use this really fine, expensive oil. And Christos oil was the oil for the poor and so that oil was given out to just everybody so let's call that an unrefined um oil for the commoner or the poor person the one that couldn't afford the the really fine fine oil so you think about how expensive oils are sometimes today and go find your most expensive oil and that would be like the oil for the temple but then you pull out your oil in your cupboard, your Crisco oil, oil your Crisco oil, and that's kind of a play off of those words. The Christ oil is the commoner oil. So you are the Christ. What that actually means, <clears throat> Christ is like the goody giver. And so Peter really doesn't have this idea of Lord yet in his in his in his embodiment of who Christ is. And so you are the Christ or you are the the one that's supposed to give us something. Um Jesus ordered them not to tell anyone about him. Um because probably you could conclude that everyone's just going to want something from him. So so you are the Christ, the Christos. You are the one for the common people. That would mean the one that's going to give us something very tangible, very visceral, very, very human-like. So, so Peter answered, you are the very human-like one, uh, the one for all of us. If you want to go, sorry, if you want to go to the next slide and go one more You want me to explicate that one? Is that what you're asking me to do, or second? No, go go back one, Rob. <clears throat> a lot of the times we read this passage as as more of an ascetic approach, ascetic where we are denying ourselves completely. That does not include include self hatred, mm -hmm. yep. and so. That doesn't include like that I'm not going to look after myself or take care of myself or even 
better myself. That is an idea of that, that our, that our progress, our gains are connected, are connected with God's movement, God's kingdom. And I, I really think that tying your own personal health into that is of, is of utmost importance when you look at this and that really focusing on making yourselves better. Yeah. Well, I, I do know from, from studying the Torah, which, which, you know, Jesus is the fulfillment of the Torah, but in studying the Torah and the, the Jewish ethic of the Mishnah, we know that there are five ethics of, of the Jewish faith out of the Mishnah, out of the Torah. And the five values, the last value is self-respect. And so in the Torah, in the original, there is a high value for self-respect. Hence why it says, take care of the temple. Hence why it says, love others as you love yourself. Things like that. I really want to get to that next slide, though. Six days later. You can finish. Go for it. No, I'm just going to stop right there. Six days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and no, John. No, I want to stop right there. Six oh, okay. days oh. later. <laughs> <laughs> what do we know about our Hebrew numbers? The idea you're, I think, looking for is that it is the, well, six would be a representation of incompleteness. Mm, well, it would be a complete, uh, it would be a complete creation, right? Mm. Without the rest. I, I would definitely take, I would take six as the idea that it wasn't ready yet and then we move right into this next section mm -hmm. which is the fulfillment of the seventh okay but i think but go, go, explain what you were thinking well i i think that that six in hebrew is the number for human beings it's the number for humankind um, because human beings were created uh, on the on the sixth day. Um, man, human beings rather, sorry, uh, were also to work for six days. So they were to create for six days and on the seventh day salvation awaited. Uh, you know, it's kind of like 6,000 years of, of labor and spiritual warfare before in Joshua, you know, like, like there's, there's, there's different ideas of this idea of six and it all has to do with the work, the good work, right? It's not incomplete work. It's the good work. Um, when, 
the number seven would be fulfillment or total um, eternity or completion. Yes, it's the it's the completion or spiritual perfection. Um, so if you read this in six days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and brought them up and revealed to them the seventh day. It's great. Mm-hmm. You want to, should we finish reading it? Yeah, yeah, we can. Peter, James, and John and brought them to the top of a very high mountain where they were alone. He was transformed in front of them. His clothes were amazingly bright, brighter than they had been bleached. Elijah and Moses appeared and were talking with Jesus. Peter reacted to all of this by saying, Jesus, say Jesus, Rabbi, it's good that we're here. Let's make three shines, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He said this because he didn't know how to respond. The three of them were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice spoke from the cloud, This is my son, whom I dearly loved. Listen to him. Suddenly, looking around, they were no longer, any, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. Okay, we're good now. <laughs> okay. Are we moving so, on? Because I had something to say. No, please, no. say something. Because um, I have a ref, I'm looking up a reference right now for us with this scripture. So in the previous section, um, the disciples and Peter in particular don't quite get it. Um, they know that Jesus is the Messiah, but they haven't figured out what that means yet. Um, and then we're here on the mountain and... Um, this amazing thing happens and Peter's first response is let's build a shrine. Let's stick you in a box where I understand you and everything makes sense. And we can come back and we can worship at the box where everything makes sense. Um, <laughs> and I, I think especially connected to that story before it, um, we see Jesus breaking out of the box. Um, and it's this continual subversion of the expectations of what the Messiah is supposed to be. Mm. Excellent. So there is a reference to Exodus 24 where Moses had to wait six days before he went up on the mountain. So this revealing of Moses on the mountain uh, is really Exodus-esque to me. Yeah, um, if you look at Exodus, go ahead. Well, my question was, is that when the law is given? Well, no, Exodus, Exodus 34 is in the laws. It's Exodus 24. Is, Has to wait six days through, I think, the second. When he went up on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. Gotcha. Okay. It's another so number. Exodus that just 34 seems is when. But not, yeah. <laughs> Exodus 34 is when is when Moses is on top of the mountain hiding in the cleft of the rock 
Mm-hmm. And this is when Moses receives the law the second time. And God passes before Moses and gives his gives his uh, adjectives, which we've talked about that in our in our Exodus podcast series. But in 29, it says, Moses came down from Mount Sinai, and as he came down from the mountains, two cut, uh, Moses didn't realize that his skin and face shone brightly because he'd been talking with God. When Aaron and Israelites saw the skin of Moses, his face shining brightly, they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called them closer, so Aaron and Levi's community spoke with them. And the Israelites came near, and as Moses commanded them, everything the Lord had spoken to him. And so you have this idea of being on top of a mountain, being alone, being up there for a, for a certain number of time where, where God gave the law on top, and everything was bright, and people were afraid and confused as they saw it. I think that Exodus 34 and, and Mark, what, 9 now? Where are we at? I think is a yeah. is a direct a direct parallel. Yes, and there's also this on the seventh day. So so the six days of waiting um could also be related to Exodus twenty one where the Hebrew slave was only to work for six years mm-hmm. before the revealing of like going free. Um, in the seventh year. Uh, so this idea of six, these six days, is not by accident. So, so, so the point of bringing this up is you got to remember there's numbers in Hebrew understanding. Even though this is not written in Hebrew, in Hebrew understanding. So even though this is written to Gentile people, you have, or for Gentile uh, thinkers, you definitely have Hebrew characters, Hebrew uh, trained people, and <clears throat> Hebrew signaling. And so the signaling is this sixth, sixth day. So that's supposed to trigger our minds, even though it doesn't trigger our minds since we're, you know, English speaking for the, you know, the three of us are English speaking. And we understand the Hebrew language, but we don't necessarily understand the Hebrew mind. And so this sixth day is the signaling, oh, there's a bigger story here that I need to pay attention to. Just like the number three, just like the number 40, 40 days, 40 nights, um, 40 years in the wilderness, 40 days in the desert, or 40 days, 40 years in the desert, 40 days in the wilderness, however you want to say that. Um, so this 40 days, that number of completion as well, seven, uh, 12, 12 tribes of Israel, seven days, six days of creation, seventh day rested. So these numbers are signalings to a bigger semiotic picture that we need to pay attention to. So Jake and Sharia and myself are digging around in scripture, um, trying to find that signaling. And it's yeah, supposed to hearken us back to old stories, old narratives, that this is the fulfillment of the promised land coming. Yeah, I think especially especially in the Gospels, um, there are triggers and, and almost like stumbling blocks that you have to stop at. And 
when we read it in our English context and our, I guess our United States of American context and our English language, we don't have a grasp of the of the stumbling blocks, the the things that should make you pause and wait. Like we talked about the story of Legion and how the first, one of the first stumbling blocks is that pigs can swim. This is my cue that your your sound is messed up. There you go. Can you hear me now? Yes. Yes. Okay. Thank you. Um, another stumbling block is like in the in the parable of of the wicked servant is called mm. the idea that that where we get our modern version of hell, that the master is is shrewd and cunning and reaps where he hasn't sown, charges interest on money. And that's both of those ideas are, are against Levitical law or like against the Torah. Mm-hmm. Um, more stomach blocks, like when Jesus is on the road to Emmaus after after the resurrection, that when Jesus was at a at a stranger's house, he broke bread and passed it out. And that was that position, the, the position of breaking bread was was the master of the house's position. And so um, those are all ideas that we need to stop and pause and look. There's a greater story happening here than just what's written down on, on the page. Right. Or I guess it's written down the page, but as as we are reading it, there's a greater story than right. just as our context and our lens is allowing us to read it. Right. Well, I mean, even the clouds, you know, as I read about the cloud overshadowed them, I mean, even that harkens back to Exodus 24 as the presence of God. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I mean, even the cloud is right in the midst of that, you know, transfiguration. Yeah. And when, when you read about Mount Sinai, there's the idea that the cloud descended upon Mount Sinai, I think, for 40 days, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or six days. Six days? It's even better. Even better for our story. Yeah, he wasn't allowed to go up on the mountain until the seventh day, and then he stayed up on the mountain for 40 days, 40 nights. I'd have to read it again, but I'm pretty sure I'm correct there. But I mean, the cloud over, like in Mark 9, 7, then a cloud overshadowed them and a voice speaking from the cloud said, this is my son who I'm dearly loved. Listen to him. So that's, that's a signaling as well to a different story. So let's, why does Elijah have to come first? Did we get all the way to that scripture? Let's read that scripture there. Oh, as they were funny. coming. As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them not to tell anyone what they had seen until after the human one had risen from the dead. Oh, now we got a resurrection going on. So they kept it to themselves, wondering, what's this rising from the dead? Scare quotes. They asked Jesus, why do the legal experts say that Elijah must come first? He answered, Elijah does come first to restore all things. Why was it written that the human one 
would suffer many things and be rejected. In fact, I tell you that Elijah has come, but they did to him whatever they wanted, just as it was written about him as well. So that that harkens back to uh, Malachi. Malachi, basically, um, in chapter 4, I'm going to send you this prophet Elijah before the Lord comes. So the religious leaders thought that Elijah's seat would be restored um, and return first. And Is there any importance to that? The empty chair, right, of the Jewish Seder is for Elijah, correct? Correct. Yeah they're, waiting. yeah. they're waiting for the Elijah to come. Um, Christians put Elijah as John the Baptist. Mm -hmm. Right. That the person did come, but they sawed his head off in a silver platter. Right. Whatever they wanted to to him. Right. right. Um, Any more thoughts? Do we believe that Elijah's? I mean, not everybody agrees that Elijah is John the Baptist. Yeah. Like John one twenty one, which says they asked what? him, huh? Which says what? Well, John one twenty one, and they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you a prophet? He answered, no. Yeah. I, I think we can only guess at this point. Mm -hmm. Right. If we put Jesus as the Messiah, at whom, who might be... Elijah. I mean, I think um, Elijah is more of a metaphor, don't you think? Yeah. yeah. Um, um. I mean, I can can John the Baptist be Elijah and not know it? Like, <laughs> I mean, does he have to have awareness that he's playing that role? Or do we all play that role? Mm-hmm. I mean, are we the one that, like, is preparing the way of the Lord? Right. Right. I think there's yeah. something to that. <clears throat> okay, let's read the next passage and see how far we get, and then we'll close it down. When, yes, when Jesus, <laughs> Peter, James, and John approached the other disciples they saw a large crowd surrounding them and legal experts arguing with them suddenly the whole crowd caught sight of jesus they ran to greet him like bono overcome with excitement jesus asked them what are you arguing about someone from the crowd responded teacher i brought my son to you since he has a spirit that doesn't allow him to speak Wherever it overpowers him, it throws him into a fit. He foams at the mouth, grinds his teeth, and stiffens up. 
So I spoke to your disciples to see if they could throw it out, but they couldn't. Jesus answered them, you faithless generation, how long will I be with you? How long will I put up with you? Bring him to me. Is there more? Yes. There we go. They brought him when the spirit saw Jesus and immediately threw the boy into a fit. He fell on the ground and rolled around foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked his father, how long has he has this been going on? He said, since he was a child. It has often thrown him into a fire or into water trying to kill him. If you can do anything, help us. Show us compassion. Jesus said to him, if you can do anything, all things are possible for the one who has faith. At that, the boy's father cried out, I have faith. Help my lack of faith. There's more. And one more. Yep. There we go. Noticing that the crowd had surged together, Jesus spoke harshly to the unclean spirit. Mute and deaf spirit, I command you to come out of him and never enter him again. After screaming and shaking the boy horribly, the spirit came out. That sounds like that. I recognize that from certain faith healing seminars I've seen. The boy seems to be dead. In fact, several people said that he had died. But Jesus took his hand, lifted him up, and he arose. After Jesus went into the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why couldn't we throw this spirit out? Jesus answered, Throwing this kind of spirit out requires prayer. And that was kind of a mean response. And it's not like Jesus is praying anywhere in this passage. So, like, was it all the lonely places built up after a while he'd done enough praying? I know. He had prayer coins to spend. Right. So... We asked the question because this is an odd story. What right. is this pass? What is this passage about? What's the central? Right. What's what is the theme? And it's not the boy with epilepsy. Okay. So what's the passage about? It's used over and over again. Bring him to me perhaps connected to it where, where are you going with it like if, if we look at this passage is about faith okay i think we've we've had a lot of faith all the way up all the whole time mm -hmm. and this this book was not written as a biography of jesus no it was written to tell a story but also right. to to teach through the telling of story. Mm -hmm. And so if you look at the central theme of the story as, as faith, and to help me in my disbelief or help me in my lack of faith that I have, which if you say that the opposite of faith is disbelief, that's not, that's not true. The opposite of, the opposite of faith is, is certainty. Right. It's it's more like it's it's a it's an arrogant knowledge. Mm, right. The the remedy of lack of faith is then prayer. Mm. 
So if you take it off the boy, if you take it off the healing, if you take it off of everything and look at what this, what the writer is trying to communicate to a, a larger church body, it's the lack of faith. How do I heal lack of faith? And that's through, and that's through prayer, like communication, God pausing, being, being still. Okay. So does this, are you saying that this, uh, this just shows the problem that our faith does not match Christ's faith? Is that what you're trying to say? Or no, I don't think it needs a match. I just think that what the author is trying to communicate is that is that a lack of faith or understanding can be helped through prayer. Hmm. So what does Mother Teresa do? Pray. Well, but the only time that she heard the voice of God was maybe on that train, right? Well, yeah, I mean, if you're praying to hear the voice of God... <laughs> If you're praying to hear the voice of God, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I would be hard pressed to find many people who have actually heard an audible voice of God. Then what else builds our faith? Like if we, if we, if we don't have signs of healing, if we don't have the voice of God, then what is going to build our faith? In prayer that's my I guess that's my question back to like the moral lesson that you're trying to give what well, is it a is it a lesson on mindfulness could be because if, if you think of the idea of prayer and just the basic of prayer sorry my allergies are kind of bothering me right now if you think on the basic basis of prayer it is a is a mindfulness exercise okay and so it, it builds security, it builds peace, it builds self-confidence, it builds, it, it takes our neuroses and our dysphorias and puts them at ease, does not cure them, but puts them at ease a little bit, takes our paranoia and, and helps us control it. And so like, prayer is not, I think, when we hyper spiritualize prayer and we 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 stop looking at the practical the practical implications of the prayer okay then we lose then we lose sight of like prayer does something for me go back to the scripture really quick and i just want to look at something in the first slide of that scripture Okay. Uh, what are you arguing? So suddenly the whole crowd caught sight of Jesus. They ran to greet him, overcome with excitement. Jesus 
ask them, what are you arguing about? Someone from the crowd responded, teacher, I brought my son to you since he has a spirit that doesn't allow him to speak. Wherever it overpowers him, he throws him into a fit. So I spoke to your disciples to see if they could throw him out, but they couldn't. So that's the key. What are you arguing about? The disciples couldn't throw this spirit out. So then Jesus says, bring him to me. Go to that next slide now. Rob, go to the next. There you go. Uh, and immediately Jesus threw, Jesus threw, excuse me, he, the, it immediately the threw Jesus. the boy into a fit. He fell on the ground, foamed at the mouth, since a child, and then uh, if I can, Jesus said to him, all things are possible for the one who has faith. At that point, the father cried out, I have faith. Help me with my lack of faith, which is, you know, overly used um, many, many times. So now the next slide. I'm just looking for key words here. Noticing the crowd had surged together, Jesus spoke harshly to the unclean spirit. Mute and deaf spirit, I command you, after screaming and shaking, the spirit came out. The boy seemed to be de dead, um, but Jesus took his hand, lifted him up, and he arose. So this is a resurrection story. But Jesus took his hand. The hand of God means compassion. Throwing this kind of spirit out requires prayer that would grow our compassion. The disciples didn't have compassion. What? Sure. <laughs> I mean, honestly, that's probably my... You know how I would teach that or what I would say is the hand of God means compassion. Um, so. But what were they arguing about? Well, yeah, that's that's a good question. But the fact that they were arguing means that they're arguing and not focused on the child. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so they're having this what theological debate like we do in the church all the time. The eldership is gathered having fights over whether or not, you know, the this or that is happening or the youth group brings pizza into the sanctuary or we have these other arguments now are, are you know, are gay people allowed in the church? And then we have these other arguments that a woman's up preaching. Is she allowed to do that? And we're sitting there arguing, arguing, arguing all the while there's somebody sitting there that is literally wanting to commit suicide and completely if you just term this illness that he had possibly like just there's a mental illness happening even and they're sitting in the back row and we're all arguing over this and we don't have compassion for what is sitting right in front of us mm -hmm. I think that's why our that that's why the national church numbers are going down. Southern Baptists just you know mm -hmm. gave their chart that we now they're down 
uh, what, 5 million or 3 million or whatever. It's millions of people down. All evangelicalism is down in the toilet. You see, you know, literally 30% of the church walked out the door in the last three years. People are done with these arguments happening here and they don't see any compassion for what is sitting there frothing at the mouth right in front of them. Needing help. Needing help. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. All right. Let's end with that. Thanks everybody for joining us. If you'd like to dialogue with us more, you can leave some notes uh, for us in a direct message or on the social media channel that you are listening to. Go to our website, resonatelife.org. Thanks, Shreya. Thanks, Jake. Good night, everybody. Good night.